this this lockdown that we're in right now, the number, the most of the cases that were coming out that caused this lockdown came from essential workers. So essential workers, anybody, anybody that that works, let's say, at the front lines or et cetera, the people that are essential services. So most of the cases were coming from those from from the essential workers. And the question now became like, what are we doing to protect essential workers? And that comes to the question of vaccine, which we'll get into, but also paid sick leave. Basically, was a big was is is one of the main factors that will allow an essential worker to stay home. Welcome back to Beyond Culture, with a podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your co-host Abel, and in this episode, we take a current and retrospective look at the COVID-19 pandemic a year later, as the Ontario government potentially plans on extending this third lockdown. We evaluate the political decisions that have been made both at the federal and provincial levels. We also take a look at vaccination trends, anti-lockdown movements, essential workers, and much more. Take a listen. Welcome back to Beyond Culture. I'm your host, Ivan. I'm here with my co-host, Abel. Man, we're back. We're back. I know, it's been a, it's been a long time, but... Uh... I think it was a much needed break, you know, uh, especially just, you know, you know, uh, like with school and everything that's happening. But at the same time, we've uh, tried to stay active on Beyond Culture, we like with the blog and stuff. So we weren't completely gone. But yeah, so uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because our breaks are not... Like, it's a break, I guess, from, like, the podcasting side of it, but, like, just branching out to the other side, it's, like, we're still releasing content on that side. Like, the blogs, the website came out. I think this was probably the best, the most active break we've ever had. Like, it was just a lot of, we were pumping out a lot of stuff, discussing other projects and whatever. And also, like, the breaks is more, like, it's, like, it's a... It's like it's, it gives us more time to do other stuff that are also important, like school and whatever. Because I know me when I'm in during season, like I have a balancing the podcasting and then school or whatever with editing or whatever is crazy. So yeah, it's good to it's good to be back, man. Well, over our break, we know we also had a lot of stuff happening, and which was always, it's always interesting when you're on break, just seeing what's happening especially with covid or the world of politics or whatever you always i was talking to a few friends mutual friends of ours i was just like i was just like or they were telling me they're like yo when is beyond culture coming back because so much <laughs> so much was happening i'm just like man it's just, you just have to wait for the perfect time i think right now is the perfect time to get into this stuff yeah no it, you know it, um you know every time we're on break whether it's for a week or two weeks or however long it is um there there's always something that comes up and we're like oh man we should we sh- we should address this or we're like oh man too bad we're on a break you know but uh but you know i think it's good to sometimes just refresh and you know and also you know we take these breaks to also figure out how, uh what to do next you know we just don't want to be like i don't want to be just pushing out content I, I like i do value quality over volume you know like i know in the age of internet you know like the the go-to move is to pump out a lot of stuff and create a, a lot of volume and 
you know, something will catch on. But I feel like it's, you know, for especially for our brand, it's important to have the quality, you know, to actually put the time uh, researching, put the time, you know, having having the time to research and the time to think about issues, think, th think through issues, you know, so yeah, that's why, that's why these breaks happen. And for me uh, specifically, like uh, I had to make sure like I just do well my exams and stuff, you know, to finish off this last semester of undergrad for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, indeed. And it's, it's, it's really weird now because we could basically kind of get into the episode today because it's about COVID and everything. If we really flash back to what are we right now? We're a we're May, so COVID started around I think it was March area for us. That's where the first like lockdowns March, March April. Yeah, March April. That's when it's really first started for us. Yeah, and then not too long ago that anniversary of COVID came, and I remember like even Snapchats gives you like your flashbacks. And whatever and like some friends i had at school were sending me videos were like yo it's so crazy we left campus about a year ago not knowing anything like we didn't we just it was crazy how much we did not know about the virus back then we left we literally remember we were all packing up we're like oh everything's gonna be online all right yo and everybody's just rushing to get home not knowing like that's the last time like i would see a few of my friends because it was obviously we're going into our last year it was the last time i saw a few of them or it's just like it really created like a chain a chain of events that are now to look back at it and to see that we're still deep in this virus right now and we have do well by the numbers when you look at it this last stretch of uh of cases we had was the worst we've ever had it was worse than the beginning of the pandemic it's really crazy to see because you you would be, you would have thought that we would have been in a better situation a year later. Yeah, you know, like as you said, no one thought it was going to be like this. Like we, it was just so full of uncertainty. I remember, so like I remember one of my last few classes on campus. Uh, like I was taking, it was like a course on parliamentary, uh, the parliamentary system, more so in Canada. And we're studying the parliament and COVID became relevant because as, like, as they were starting to, to think of locking things down and, uh, you know, putting brakes on, on, on the economy and on, uh, on our daily lives, uh, the, like the liberal government, uh, proposed that, like, the, they changed the way the, like, parliament is, is done, you know, because there are some extraordinary measures that they took. And, um, at the beginning, I think that they wanted those measures to stay on until the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken, or September, either September or the end of the year. I'm not sure when, but, uh, for a lot of people, like, that created, like, some, a lot of like uh noise in the political world in canada because people are like whoa oh you're expecting this to go on until september or till end yes, of the year yes you, yes you know and I, I i'm pretty sure i remember talking to you and i i told you you did you, you did talk to me about it and you yeah. put it in the you talked about it on the podcast as well i remember that yeah and i told you like it looks like the like the federal government thinks that this is like this is going to take some time, you know, but for most people, um, like 
we thought like especially after the first lockdown things would go back to somewhat normal after, like as like after the first lockdown going into the the summer last year but that wasn't the case and now we're you know we're going through the third lockdown the third the third wave and people are already fearing a fourth wave so yeah man it's it's it's, it's created an entire new normal yeah no bam. the fact that you brought that up brought back so memories because it's so many memories because i remember when you sent me you sent me that email or even you even talked about it i'm like nah 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 nah, nah. we're not gonna be there's no way we're gonna be here going into like the next year there's no way we even have a, a, <laughs> a friend like he his prediction let's say it was i think it was like end of march we're all giving our predictions okay when do you think the lockdown's gonna end like everybody's giving their own predictions so me me and this other guy were like, I said like, uh, July, August or whatever. And then he said, <laughs> Oh, August, September. And we're like, you're being conservative here. Our other friend was like, thinking it was end of March. He was just like, Oh yeah, I like, remember that. <laughs> he said by I April, remember. we're out of here. <laughs> we're out. No, I, I remember who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, said be- by April, we'll be out here. <laughs> April last year, not even this year, last year. Yeah. So. yeah yeah, man it's 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 an entire new new normal you know and it's been going on but you know at least there's some uh you know there's hope um as like especially in canada people are looking down south and look look at the u.s and see uh, with everything that's happening with the their vaccinations that there is hope and there is light at the end of the tunnel as they say it but uh yeah but it's it's still a tough time yeah and even going into let's say so it's summer summertime comes and we're still in and out of lockdowns but i i think at the end i think it was maybe july or august where they kind of we kind of opened up here in canada so we opened up, we opened up for a bit, but it was still, I, I think they're already talking about the second wave in the summertime. They're like, yo, if we, once the seasons changes and whatever, then we might get into a second wave. But it was still something pretty distant, but it was still something that was talked about a lot. Yeah, I even remember for my soccer season, they have to, cause let's say preseason for us starts August 1st or in the August area. But for us, they have to make a decision really early whether to cancel the season or not, because you're not going to have all these students come to campus on the promise that they might have a season or not. So for us, like it was like a month or two, I think maybe a month or two months before preseason even starts, which is like, let's say it's three, four months before the season actually starts in September. They're like, the OUA season is canceled. I remember they canceled the season very, very early on. A lot of student athletes were obviously cheesed about that. Like, you know, I remember, we were, I think we might have talked about it on the podcast with some athletes, but it was like, it was really tough news because we didn't know. We're like, how can you make a decision so early without knowing what the situation is going to be like in the fall? Lo and behold, we get to the fall and it's, it's bad. Like, it's the, the numbers are upticking or whatever. So ultimately, the OUA obviously made the, made the right the right decision but it was still somewhat of a somewhat of, of a gamble but what i what i do find interesting though because you get to like the i think it was around november we we get the color code system in uh ontario the green red whatever it is i know <laughs> it's interesting because i watched the brandon gonas show and they interview people 
Yo, what do you think uh, this color means? And people were all over the place. And I'm just going to be, I was like, yo, honestly, I don't even know what this color grade system is. And, and we're supposed to be the one like that paid hardcore attention to politics or whatever, but I couldn't even understand what it meant. It seemed to me that that color code system was more for, for like the, like the businesses and the industries to be able to judge when to open up or not. It wasn't really, I don't think it was really for us civilians to understand. Cause if it was for us, what they said, trust me, we would understand. Like I had a really t- tough time understanding that system. I think I honestly, I think that was a bad decision switching to the color coding system. Like if as soon as it came out, like I couldn't make sense of it. And it was also like, I understand why experts need needed the color code system because you need the nuance and the complexities and you need a system that can actually handle the nuance and the complexities uh, instead of like stage one, stage two or stage three. But honestly, I I felt like people understood understood uh, the system better when it was like stage one, stage two, stage three. Uh, Instead of like the color code, I feel like you could, they could have ex- expanded the stages or, you know, whatever it is, but the, you know, the code, the co- the colors, oh my God. Um, but yeah, but, you know, there's been, obviously there's been plenty of mistake, mistakes made, um, especially, you know, like, especially on the, on the provincial level in Ontario, um, you know, I, I like honestly a lot of um, like a lot of concern and a lot of complaints aren't going up to like the federal level, except when it comes to acquiring vaccines. But we'll talk about later in the episode. But, you know, like e- everything else, like the third wave, the like, uh, like, oh, you know, those things are, are being addressed um I want to say the paid sick leave, uh, those things are being addressed towards the provincial government, uh, instead of the federal government. And I think it's like, uh, I think it's pretty, it's pretty, um, interesting to, to think about that and think about why, you know, people are addressing those concerns to, to the provincial government. Obviously, there's an issue of jurisdiction and what the provincial government is supposed to do and what the federal government is supposed to do. But oftentimes, people don't know about jurisdictions, you know, like in the general public, you don't know what the federal government is supposed to do and like what's the federal government's job and the provincial government's job. You just know it's the government's job. So I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off at the government, (laughs) (laughs) you know. But a lot of you know a lot of heat has been going towards the fed, the provincial government uh instead of like government in general mm-hmm. i think that that he also comes like there's i think there's there's there's, there's, there's two sides to this there's obviously the the numbers side what the numbers actually say about the cases and the the reasoning as to why you need those lockdowns but it's also there's also the more the emotional the more the the, the human side of just being taken in and out of lockdowns. Like that's, I think that's the biggest thing that's one of the biggest things that's happening right now. I'm not, I'm sure we're all, we're very well educated in Ontario. Like we know what's happening, but it's also when you're taking in and out of lockdowns and you kind of, it's kind of like a given, like, okay, this, this is the one we get this lockdown through. And then after that, we're good. Like once you kind of, you built that hope in within yourself and then you get thrown back in a lockdown, like it's very tough. And that's where you really saw the real rage coming. In Ontario, because you're talking about like we're a pretty compliant society here in Ontario. In Canada, we're very compliant. 
But what I was seeing after this most recent lockdown was announced, it was stuff that you and I follow uh, politics in the States. This is stuff I only would see in the state, the rebelliousness and all this. Like it's stuff that was very, it's very common in the States. And it was so interesting seeing it, you know, here in Canada. Because we get to, I believe it was Boxing Day, the second lockdown started. And that was when I, I remember I was home in Toronto for for the winter time and that lockdown basically like our numbers are going up the numbers are probably going to even go higher because of the post-holiday because of people being in, in like home for holidays meeting up with each other so we might see a surge so let's lock it down but that was like unboxing there or whatever and then we get to since i i, I go away from home for school like and um there was a there's, there's a tiered system in the whole province where i went to, where i go to school everything was open so once i left toronto like I was basically out of the lockdown. I was, I was going to restaurants, like weird training. Uh, I had like bare hair, a lot of haircuts or whatever. And I remember I was talking to my boys, to my, to the boys back home and they were like, Oh man, just the opening stuff little by little, you know, we might get there, you know, uh, they're opening stuff little by little. But then after the week, I believe the week they were supposed to open the haircuts, at least in the Toronto Peel region area. Then boom, we head into a third lockdown, a province wide, get a province wide stay at home order, an emergency order. And that's during the time where you see the COVID variants, uh, pop up, which is something I don't think we really accounted for or the government, maybe or not, they accounted for it, but that's where I think the variants really caught us off guard because this third lockdown, which I talked about, which would, uh, Re-ingre- like, which basically made a lot of people mad, which, which is where all the anger is coming from this lockdown we're in right now, really caught us by surprise because we thought after that second lockdown, it was done. We're good. Everything's opening up. And then the week where hair salons are supposed to open, we go back into lockdown. That was, that was something I think nobody really accounted for. Yeah. No. And, um, you know, like, it was just so surprising because it was like I believe uh, it started on April eighth or ninth, um, but it was you know around Easter and people are starting to feel the hope and you know like people are looking down in the U.S. Uh, and they would see that like their situation was improving. Um, by then, I believe um, like they they had achieved like significant. Uh, milestones in terms of vaccination uh, but also because other like governors in red states in the u.s just started to open up the economy i believe texas was fully open florida was open like people were looking down there like yeah this is probably not what we should be doing but at least we should be mo- moving towards uh, towards this right uh but then like the lockdown came and it was really uh it was really abrupt, you know, it was really like, uh, you know, it, like it caught people off guard, you know, like it was, I believe it was like over the weekend. And then after that weekend, you hear Doug Ford coming out and it's like, yeah, we're coming out with the police. So you need to stay the hell in, <laughs> out of these streets, you know, and it was like, it was super, super uh, tough, strict, rigid. And people weren't, you know, a lot of people weren't, uh, expecting it so that's why i believe it's been really like in terms of compliance as you said like you know like like we hear stories you know people like people aren't as compliant uh this time around than they were for the first two uh lockdowns and 
you know, to some extent, you want people to be compliant and, you know, help, help out to decrease the cases. You know, that's pr- probably the rational thing to do. But at the same time, you're looking at people who have been stuck in their houses for the better part of the past, um, 16 months, you know, so, you know, at the same time, you feel compassion for people who aren't being compliant, uh, more than, than people did before, you know, like when those anti, uh, lockdowns protesters were coming out like, like last year or, or before last summer, people were like, these are nuts, not cases. But like now it's like, eh, I kind of see your point, you know, especially, as I said, especially since people are looking across like down south especially and in europe as well like i should mention that because europe is starting to open up belgium just opened up uh, their patios this this weekend and uh, the uk opened up their like restaurants and i believe patios uh terrace um like i think two or three weeks ago you know so people look at the news they look at what's happening around the world they're like man like people are living you know like why are we the only ones who are stuck inside so yeah like uh, you know those frustrations are like you know like uh like people can understand those frustrations yeah and i think you actually that's the perfect point to bring up about kind of not it's not really sympathy but it's more understanding for those early anti-lockdown protests like now that sentiment like you transfer that sentiment to now it's kind of it's kind of more like there's some points you know you're you're kind of right or whatever because i believe at the beginning it was more like these are just people who are crazy or whatever and there wasn't i think there was no at the beginning at least of this virus there was no middle ground into in terms of like oh they have some points that are correct and the people that are more that are more compliant also have some points to be correct. Everybody was kind of in their own camps, really. I think I, I would be I was more in the camp of people that are like now get like we have to follow the government because obviously they know they know what's best in the moment for it. But now I'm more in the camp where I'm like, you know what? Like there there is some good points that were made on the other side because we often dismiss the byproduct of this pandemic, which is obviously going to well. The main point we're focused on the quarantines and focus on people getting the virus, but also there's the other byproduct of people staying at home, suicide, depression, all the like loss of jobs, all these things were, which I think originally when it was brought up, those points were kind of put to the side more. They weren't really addressed as much, but going into like more recently, I think these points also needs to be highlighted because it's like this, this is also a very real problem. Like the byproducts could almost become like the once we're done with this virus the the biggest thing we're gonna have to deal with like the impact of the cover the coronavirus and i think I, that's a really good point you brought up yeah but and like I'd like yeah 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 just like one last point that i'd like to highlight as you were talking about like the the impacts um is that like the secondary impacts you know like uh so for example last year for a lot of people as you said this was like a short-term problem like a short-term societal problem, you know, like COVID for most people, I, I don't, I, especially at the beginning, people weren't thinking that this was going to drag on for a year and a half or um, maybe two years, hopefully. Um, but, you know, like people are thinking, okay, if we lock down hard and the cases go down, we can go back to our normal lives, right? Um, and that's why people are easy were easier to stomach uh, those like secondary uh, 
negative impacts, you know, like uh, depression and, you know, like the career disruptions and all those things. Um, but now since it, it, it sort of have, it sort of have become like a long-term problem, like people, like people are starting to feel like, okay, those problems really, really need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And now even going into just, um, this lockdown that we're in right now, because, uh, as you talked about the, when like the police was giving, at least at the beginning, they were giving power, powers to stop you, ask you for your residence, stop your car, and then ask you, you know, what's the purpose of your trip? If it's not essential, you get fined or whatever, you can get criminal charges. And, and yeah, and all, all of a sudden, I remembered that going into that weekend, I saw a lot of police stations, like police precincts all over Ontario say, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. I'm just like, <laughs> but what's happening? Is this it's literally an open descent? Like, I thought they were, they would be on board with this, but they weren't. And then you see then the Ford government pivots the messaging and says, no, this was always meant to be for large gatherings. And it wasn't meant to, like, you know, try to... Uh, tackle the individuals or et cetera, et cetera. But that was very interesting because I think during that moment, I think Doug Ford also stopped taking press conferences or he was absent for a bit for some reason. And then he came back out after, after a bit. But no, that was very interesting because I had even had friends message me like, yo, what, what does this mean? Like, am I going to be, if I step out the house, am I going to be <laughs> thrown in jail? Like, what's going to happen? And I think that was a very wrong move on the, on the part of the government for sure. Yeah. Oh, man, that was, you know, that was super controversial to the point where, as you said, police precincts were saying, no, we're not doing this. Like, I think the the um, like like the police in uh, Ottawa was probably the first one to say, no, we're not we're not applying this. So, like we're not doing this. Uh, and then like all over Ontario, uh, police were saying like, you know, they are coming out and say we're not going to to do this, you know, but, and, you know, as you said, like we, we talked about this off, like not on the podcast, but just personally. And I was telling you how like, this was just, you know, like this was just a terrible decision. And a lot of people, you could see like a lot of people were expressing concern. Like people also, people were like asking me about like, how is that going to apply to them? And you, you, you saw, I saw a lot of people, especially young black guys saying like, Oh my God, this is, this is just going to be a nightmare. You know, that's why, like when we discussed, I was like, man, this is, you know, like people, like you really have to think through the consequences of your actions because like a lot of communities don't have like a good relationship with the police. Like the police is not like a positive, it's not a positive for most, for some communities, uh, like the police is not just a positive force. You know, when they see the police, they know something went wrong or something's about to go wrong or something like that. Like, you know, like that's their perception of the police. So when you tell them, like, you know, like if you go in the street, if it, even if you're going to the store, uh, the police will, will stop you and ask you where you're going. You know, for a lot of people, it's not, that's not a, like a great experience. Like, I understand I've been in situations where, I, like, at times in my life, I've been like, you know, like when I see a police officer, I'm like, you know, there's nothing going on, you know, like it's okay. Um, I'm not frightened or anything, but for a lot of people in 
a lot of situations once they see the police you know it's not a good experience or it's like they don't feel like it's a good like a it's like a positive presence as i said so in order like creating a police state on top of all of those concerns is probably not ideal you know and that's not to say anything bad about the police or bad about like the communities who don't perceive the police in the, in a positive light it's just a matter of fact you know so yeah that's why i thought like it was just a terrible terrible uh decision mm -hmm. so it was, yeah it was kind of reassuring to see so many police stations say yeah we're not doing that i was kind of that kind of surprised me i'm like i'm like okay well they, they're more they're more, they're more practical because at, at the end of the day i think it was more of a question of practicality do i really want to spend all the manpower stopping vehicles left, right, and center just to ask where they're coming from. You know how much money we'll be wasting doing that? Like, it doesn't really make sense. So I think where they came from was more of a practical standpoint. They're like, this doesn't even make sense to do. It's not efficient at all. Uh, <clears throat> but I was just doing research on it because I was, I was interested in seeing, like, how like how much of the police force is out there stopping these big gatherings. And since the, like, I think Toronto has, like, I think 16 teams devoted to breaking up these illegal gatherings. And I was just doing research, like, since April uh, 22nd, like, they've handed out, like, 570 tickets, like, in total. And that's and that ranges from the fines of, like, 750 to, like, criminal charges. So, like, they're out they're out in full force. And apparently this, I, I believe this last week that just finished or whatever, it was, like, the biggest, is the most amount of busts they have done, like, ever. <laughs> like, I think 100, per, 100 more than the week before. So, clearly, when it comes to the question of compliance, People are not complying at all. Uh, yeah, moving I, on to... Wait, wait. Yeah, you can go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, so... Well, I'm moving on more to the point because there's also... Um, one of the big problems that was happening, at least when we're heading into this lock, this third lockdown, was the question about, like, how effective are, is our strategy? Because... This this lockdown that we're in right now, the number, the most of the cases that were coming out that caused this lockdown came from essential workers. So essential workers, anybody, anybody that that works, let's say, at the front lines or et cetera, the people that are essential services. So most of the cases were coming from those from from the essential workers, and the question now became like, what are we doing to protect essential workers? And that comes to the question of vaccine, which we'll get into, but also paid sick leave. Basically, was a big was is is one of the main factors that will allow an essential worker to stay home. And we saw like stories, like really, really tough stories. I don't know if you heard the story about the uh, Emily Victoria Vegas. I think she's from Brampton. It's like the thirteen, it's like the youngest uh, person in Ontario to die from the virus. She was like thirteen, yeah, she was thirteen years old, and her father's an essential worker. And yeah, like those stories came out. Obviously, Brampton's a it's a it's a hotspot for the virus, but. Stories like that came out and then they, like people essentially shifting to the government, the provincial government to say, what exactly are you doing against for protecting our essential workers? And paid sick leave was some at the provincial uh, level was something that was asked about that was suggested at the beginning of the pandemic, like at least to get at the provincial level. And the Ford government, their defense to it was like we like we expected the government to extend their federal program on this. So they they kind of pushed the blame towards um, the Trudeau government. And now we see, because we're, let's say we're in, we're basically, election season starts very soon in terms of our provincial election. Uh, at least it's going to start next year. And 
we see that the Doug Ford government is now pushing the messaging where they're trying to lay blame now on the federal government. Like they've purchased like radio and TV time like very recently to lay the blame to the on the liberal government for the pandemic response because not only about the paid sick leave program but also about stopping international travel, which would have stopped to their to what they're saying it would have stopped the variants from coming in. But the paid sick leave thing was a was a was a big issue, and then they finally announced their three day paid sick leave. Uh, but also for a lot of people that like, does it make sense to have a three day paid sick leave for a virus that lasts at least fourteen days for you? To completely at least get be in quarantine for etc. But yeah, but even the three day paid sick leave that they announced had, was not well received. It was something that was like, okay, we finally got it, but it wasn't something that was like, oh, thank you, you know, finally we got what we asked for. They were expecting to have much more than three day paid sick leave. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, like the paid sick leave is, has been really controversial and uh, rightfully so because. Like what we saw was just like a, like a, it was just a game of blaming each other, like a political game, you know, like the, the provincial government will blame the federal government and the federal government would throw back the blame on the provincial government. You know, like, as you said, the provincial government was saying, we, we expect this from the, from the federal government. And the federal government was like, no, we're not going to do this by ourselves. Like we are. I believe their messaging was like we're prepared to work together to to start a program, but you have to do some heavy lifting. And for some reason, the Ford government wasn't willing to do that. Um, yeah, and as you said, like it's becoming it's you know it's becoming increasingly political. You know, there's an election season next year. Like, um, and I don't think I, I don't, I'm not sure how how effective that messaging is. As I, I said before, uh, most of the blame is being put on the provincial government, other than the federal government. Like the Liberal Party are polling pretty well right now. Like if an election was held right now, they will probably win a majority in parliament. Whereas like right now, they're in the, in the minority, like their their minority government. So I'm um, I'm not sure. You know, I think that's probably the the only uh, the only uh, winnable uh, like messaging that, that they they came up with. But like, but at the end of the day, you need to to help people right now. You know, like as you said, like a lot of uh, these cases are 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 from essential workers, and you know they're essential workers and. And also many of these cases now are given, given how these variants are working and how they're like, they're really hitting hard young people. You know, like I saw a stat where it said, uh, uh, I'm not sure the time frame. I believe like last week or the past two weeks, like, uh, 24% of, of the new cases were, uh, like children constituted 24% of the new cases, you know, so we're no longer in that phase where uh, the virus was only hitting like adults who are right now being vaccinated, uh, but like kids are also being hit. And as you t talked about, like some, like a 13 years old died because of COVID, you know? Um, so at the end of the day, uh, like the, you know, these governments, they need to help people first. You know, I know it's cliched, but 
you know, you need to do all you can to to help people. And, you know, and, you know, one thing that's like a perception, I, I don't think it's like, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's like a perception that has been out there is that since the beginning of the pandemic, the Ford government has been really appeasing to, to, uh, like, to uh, companies, big companies, and not really looking out as much for workers. You know, like the problem with like the paid sick leave is that the fear they would have to mandate these uh, companies to to give them to workers. That's why the Ford government didn't want to do it. They said, we don't want to mandate companies to do that. But, you know, like this is this is an unprecedented time. If people can have paid sick leave now in the midst of a pandemic that's resurging, like when can people have it? Like, you know. So it kind of, to some extent, it speaks to our value as a society, and it also speaks to the failure of, you know, of of our governments, you know. So yeah, and even because you saw during that time as well as we're trying to, as the people are trying to get paid sick leave, that's when I think Doug Ford came out with his press conference. I forgot what was the story of what happened, but I remember he, I, I remember talking to you about this. He cried at the press conference. But for for the Ontarians, those were I, like um, for most people, I believe those were really seen as crocodile tears because it's like we've been begging for paid sick leave for uh, I don't know how long. Like your tears, like yes, feel your feels, but also you should be doing something. You actually have the power to be doing something. So for a lot of Ontarians, it was really seen as crocodile tears. I remember talking to you about that, but yeah. um. And uh, well, yeah, before can... we get into the vaccines, I just want to talk to you, like talk about like uh, how long uh, this lockdown is probably going to be, because like I've, uh, as, I was, as I was researching for this episode, um, like public health experts were saying that you know, like the cases, the 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 new cases, you know, the amount of new cases is not probably going to go low enough to to the point where. The government will feel comfortable to open up by, I believe, May twentieth. That's the date, like eleven days, uh, because like it was supposed to be four weeks, and then it was extended to six weeks. Uh, and now it looks like it's probably going to be extended because, um, you, you know, like one. So people are like one expert that I was reading, like he was given an interview, was saying that. We probably be, shouldn't be looking at like a specific date, but rather like a target, you know, in terms of new cases. And for for him, he said that uh, he believed that we should get to towards around twenty cases per one hundred thousand people uh, in order to feel comfortable reopening up. And uh, in Ontario, like in I believe in Toronto and in Ottawa, in the last week. The cases numbers were over 100 per 100,000, which is pretty high, you know, but, um, like people don't expect that to go down to like 20 or 30 per 100,000 in what 10 days, you know, um, so, and, and I was, as I was uh, reading about that, I also looked at the US to see how much, um, how many new cases they're getting, like in terms of, Cases per new cases per one hundred thousand, it's down to, I believe, around twenty or less than twenty. You know, so 
uh, like if that's the like if people are looking down to the U.S. to kind of uh, gauge when things are going to open up or things are going to be like they are down there, you know, like it's probably going to take a while or this lockdown is probably going to take uh, more time, maybe like two more weeks, three more weeks. But who knows? Yeah, but probably not. It's it will probably not end in 10 days or like it'll probably not end on uh, May 20th. Yeah, exactly. And just to finish on the, the lockdown, because I think that's a big thing to point out. Like usually when you see when you see the lockdown ending, you will see more medical experts coming on TV talking about, you know, should we and they'll get asked, like, should we do you think we should end the lockdown now? Like, do you, do you think it's safe enough to do so? And what I've been hearing a lot from them when they come on TV is like, if we open up too soon, we'll be having a fourth wave. Fourth wave is something we've never heard about. And I'm sure a lot of people that don't watch the news, this is going to be the first time they hear the word fourth wave. But yeah, fourth wave is what they're talking about now. So I believe we will get, we will also get extended. Have, I really wonder until how long, obviously it's going to depend on what the situation is like, but but still, it's gonna it's gonna be tough news to hear for a lot of a lot of Ontarians. So we'll just take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the vaccine. All right, let's get into talking about the vaccine because obviously this is really the 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 way out of these lockdown and this pandemic. And originally, uh, at least in Ontario and around Canada, the only way to really get the vaccines was through pop-up clinics. So pop-up clinics, they'll literally come to, they'll be in any community, community centers and et cetera. And what I was seeing at the beginning and still to this day was really bad in terms of long lineups and et cetera. Like I was just reading a story about, there was one in Scarborough and there were, people started lining up like at midnight so that they could get it, so that they could get. So once you get to these, once you line up in these uh, pop-up clinics or, whatever in these lines you get like a there, there's a certain amount of tickets that they give out and that's basically giving you like a same day appointment so you come back then boom for your same day appointment and you get vaccinated or whatever but for the one in scarborough like i think they wrapped around a full-size football field like like five times people are lining up starting at midnight and by 5 30 a.m it was already packed like completely packed and and the messaging or at least the communication into how to get information about this. Really, there was no real centralized system of communication. It was all over the place. People were getting information from social media. And one of the big, uh, let's say, not really organizations, but accounts that came out to help people was Vaccine Hunters Canada, which you and I talked about. Like right now, they're getting a lot a lot of praise and people that are getting vac- vaccinated are making sure to post their vaccine pictures. We're saying got vaccinated thanks to Vaccine Hunters Canada. They add them on Twitter or whatever. But the fact that we needed a thing like Vaccine Hunters to have a clear, concise place where people could get their information on pop-up clinics was a huge problem to be. It's a problem to begin with because it kind of showed that we did not have, at least at our city level here in Toronto, we did not have the infrastructure to um, to host all this type of information, to have a centralized system where we could diffuse that information. So is it kind of seemed like it, it for for a lack of a better word it was very the way we went about handling uh the vaccine distribution in Toronto was very ghetto in a sense like it just it wasn't you would think that at the municipal level we would be doing a way better job and eventually the 
the Toronto government end up uh, partnering up with uh, vaccine hunters. And so it makes it kind of easier for vaccine hunters to get the up-to-date information. So vaccine hunters, basically, they they know exactly, well, they get to know how many vaccines are left at a certain pop-up clinic. Then they push people towards coming to that clinic. If it's full, then they kind of save people a lot of time from having to actually go to that clinic. But I remember a reporter asked John Tory, he's like, you know, what does this uh, mean, at least for our capabilities at the municipal level that you as a, uh, you have to partner up with a Twitter account and shout out to everybody that does vaccine hunters. It's like, it's a bunch of tech guys from Toronto and I believe also Waterloo, which is like Toronto Waterloo is kind of our own Silicon Valley, which nobody re- ever talks about, but that's, we have our own say, Silicon Valley, the Toronto Waterloo area. But yeah, big shout out to those tech guys that did that. But John Tory ended up answering that question by saying, I don't think that's how we need to see, to see this. We need to see it more as they are doing the work that we also want to do. So we might as well partner up because we're both doing the same work. We both have the same goal. And yes, this, that question is right, but I'm sorry. Like it's, it's also just another side to it where it really shows our ineptitude or the ineptitude of, of the municipal government. And I think that need really needed to be pointed out. Yeah. Well, the vaccine thing in, in Canada, you know, just the delivery, the supply, and as you address the demand, you know, it's just, it's, it hasn't been ideal, you know, and uh, for, for understand, understandable reasons, um, you know, as you talked about, just like, I think this, this is, was an interesting, uh, side of the problem talking about like the organization, uh, uh, in order to like vaccinate people, like how, like how, like uh the our organization wasn't up to task but also just the supply man the supply wasn't there you know at the end of the day if you don't have many vaccines you're gonna have long lines you know if you don't have like if the supply is not high enough you know you're going to be in this situation and like one of the reasons why the supply was low is that is because first of all like Canada's not manufacturing any of the vaccines, uh, unless I'm wrong, but I'm, I would say I'm pretty certain Canada is not manufacturing any vac- vaccines. And, and the countries that are manufacturing those vaccines are like holding on to most of them, like especially in the US. Like the US has been just holding on to all the vaccines that they're manufacturing. And that's probably like, 30 to 40 percent of the of the of the supply you know um like like all their vaccines are being held on in the u.s and one of the biggest issues is that uh like the i believe the astrazeneca vaccine like astrazeneca oxford vaccine was is being manufactured in the u.s and hasn't been approved by the fda um but has been approved in other countries, including Canada, I believe. Um, it has been approved in Canada, but the, the U.S. is, the U.S. government is still holding on to those, uh, doses, you know, and many of them are probably going to go bad in, in a couple of months. So, uh, that was one of the, one huge problem, uh, to start, like at the beginning, Joe Biden, the, the president of the U- U.S. said that he was, 
he was going to share some, some vaccines with Canada and Mexico because we were neighbors. They shared, I believe, 3 million doses. And then um, after more pressure, the administration came out and said that they were pretty much going to share the entire their entire stock of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. And they have upwards of 60 million doses. Um, and I believe much more than, probably more than 60 million. Like it's probably like in the 70 million, uh, range. Uh, so they said, but they have to wait for the, uh, for the FDA approval first before they start shipping them out because they can't ship something that hasn't been approved, uh, nationally, um, at like locally there. So. So, um, so one of the issues that, that I was saying in Canada was just getting the supply. You know, we don't have, we're not manufacturing the, manufacturing these vaccines, right? And, um, like, like the current federal government, the liberal government is putting the blame on the previous conservative government, the Harper government. They're saying that because of their policies, many vaccine manufacturers left the country but you know you had it's been what you had uh, what four years before covid or almost five years you know like he could have done something um yeah so like the supply is a big issue but uh but one good thing is that now canada is getting many more doses i believe like upwards of three million doses per week um and Canada is vaccinating much more faster now. Um, I have some numbers. Um, we're, we, like, we're recording this on Sunday, May, May 9th. Um, but Canada has administered almost 16 million doses. And that, that means almost like 14.6 million people have received at least one dose, uh, which is like, around 38% of the of the population um you know so and in ontario in ontario ontario has administered 6 million doses um and that means 5.7 million people have received at least one dose and that's like 39% of of ontario ontarians which is like 46.7% of of uh, of sixteen plus people have received the the, the vaccine in in Ontario, so like you know the situation is improving in terms of like the vaccination, um, and I should expect the situation in in terms of also like new cases to also improve as people be, uh, are becoming fully vaccinated and acquiring the immunity because. Obviously, you have to, for most of these vaccines, you have to get vaccinated. You need two doses, which are spaced out, but also Canada is spacing out the doses for quite some time. Uh, and then by the, after you get the second dose, it takes upwards to two weeks to be fully immune. So like there's a time lag in between getting the vaccines and seeing the cases fall. So I think that's like the, that's uh like if someone had to be hopeful i think someone should, like one should be hopeful about that yeah because there's also even in the manufacturing side there's also the other solution which would be 
having those companies like Pfizer release their patents so other countries can have their manufacturers start produce uh, start manufacturing the vaccines and that's was something that I first heard about like I think about a month ago uh, Jen Psaki the uh, President Biden's uh, press secretary was asked what was Biden's stance on man on on having those companies release their patents internationally and she at the moment she was like every option is on the table but we obviously have to see what would make the most sense uh, and right now you have so fast forward to now now you have the world trade organization that has a motion to temporarily waive the patents for the covid-19 vaccines that now the the US government is has supported that motion and that motion was uh started by India which right now is going through a really tough time with the with the virus and South Africa so now we're in a moment where the US is not supporting the motion but Canada is not has not really stated whether they support the motion or not Trudeau has said that we need to reach a consensus a, a consensus with the WTO before we officially make that decision about that but this strategy is kind of more like a medium medium to long term strategy it won't help you immediately but medium to long term when you when you get to ramp up that manufacturing it really does help your country but the NDP has basically accused the Trudeau government of trying to side with the big pharmaceuticals you know because in a sense they're what they're saying is that Justin Trudeau wants to side with them because if they really if the big pharmaceuticals release their patents then they don't get to make as much money because then the other manufacturers are are also getting to um make the virus but they still get some type of money but it's more like they don't have that monopoly that they have right now Pfizer and other companies have partnerships manufacturing partnerships in other countries where they manufacture the virus but this would obviously open it up to the whole international market and i remember i saw an interview not too long ago with the Pfizer Canada i believe he's a director i think his last name is Paquette or something and he was introduced uh, interviewed by CBC and then the the interviewer asked him like why like what do you do you think this is not a good idea like why do you think it wouldn't be helpful because he said it's not going to be helpful or whatever and he basically i was listening to the whole interview he basically said a lot and nothing at the same time he was like uh we don't believe that's the best way to do way manufacturing is the better way but he was saying a lot but it was more like um it seemed it seemed like there's also other other motives that were part of it and i think the bottom line motive is obviously one of the biggest motives but yeah we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back but yeah like as as i was saying with the uh, vaccine patents like that's a more medium to long term strategy which will really help us boost more of our vaccinations here um in canada but I, what what's actually interesting is that i asked uh, a friend like what's it like cuz he's he's vaccinated or whatever cuz i was really wondering what was the the let's say the process like like do you even have a choice what type of vaccine you want to take cuz right now obviously we see AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson's being the ones that are like kind of have like negative connotations to them or whatever. So, yeah, but he was just telling me it's like basically it's basically like kind of like a triage system. Like as soon as you book your appointment and this is cuz now uh in hotspots like if you're 18 uh if you're 18 and older like in most uh hotspots in Toronto, you can book an appointment at the city run clinics. Uh but yeah, he was like basically like you come in that day and they're saying today we are giving out Pfizer shots. So basically, you're kind of you don't really you don't really get a say into what type of vaccine you're gonna get. The only way you really get to do that is if you 
decide to cancel your appointment and wait for and book another one at a later time when you would expect the, uh, the clinic to be giving out like other types of vaccines. And I think that's an important thing to to say because recently there's been like very a big controversy, at least in the medical world, and even for it has implications for all of us because the National Advisory Advisory Committee of Immunization in Canada, which is basically made, made up of 15 medical members who provide guidance on the use of vaccines currently or newly approved for use in Canada to the government. And they've been doing this since 1964. But basically, they kind of, re- they, this is basically what they, what this, what it's, they said. It's like, they said, if, uh, uh, if you risk, if your risk of COVID is moderate to high, then get the first vaccine available now. But they, their, their other, let's say, the other point they, they came out with. Caveat. Yeah, yeah, the, whatever. Like a caveat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically their caveat was, was like, if, if, uh, if not, then one needs to balance out the risk of COVID complications against the risk of, uh, VITT that, I don't know what VITT means. Uh, I think that's probably the blood clots or whatever. Although rare, does exist and may lead to severe complications. But basically they, they were, they were, they were saying that if you're not really in the high risk category, then they would suggest that you wait maybe for, you wait for a Pfizer to come out and you don't rush towards getting the AstraZeneca, uh, vaccine, which was a important, um, point that they made because for a lot of people, let's say, especially in hotspot neighborhoods, you don't have the luxury of waiting for, let's say, for them to serve up Pfizer or whatever. You're trying to get uh, protected now because the situation is so dire in your community. And it really made it like a lot of medical experts came out and came against basically the messaging of what they said because they're they're like, basically, you're for the people that already got AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca, the AstraZeneca virus, like, I mean, vaccine for them that already, that they already got it. If I, let's say I got that vaccine and I'm hearing this come out of the, of the immunization committee, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fuming because it's like, are you saying that I got the lesser of the vaccines or whatever? And though what they're saying is not false because they're talking about the risk. Of, of getting like the problem with the blood clots or whatever. They say that it's rare, but the risks are there, or et cetera. The messaging around that makes it seem as if Johnson's and Johnson and AstraZeneca are the lower tier vaccines and Pfizer and Moderna are the higher tier vaccines. So, and I think I want to harp back to a point you brought up in like one of our first episodes on COVID where you talked about this is really the one of the first times for a lot of the medical experts where now their communication needs to be on point because we we have so much attention towards them. This is the first time where they're all on camera almost 24-7. And 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 that I think that's a big point you made because I think this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing the medical experts having to deliver the messaging, but then they don't they don't realize the impact of having good communication. And yeah, but what but what they said basically to rebuttal the the criticism they got, they said people who did get AstraZeneca vaccine mainly when COVID was being transmitted in their community, actually did the right thing. Uh, they protected themselves and their family against the COVID-19 complications. But you see, you say that on one and then you see something else on the other hand. And yeah, that created a lot of controversy in Canada. And that says like, 
they basically said who did get them, but they're not talking about people who are considering getting them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, man, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, obviously, like, as you said to your point, like, it's for medical experts uh, and public health experts, like, their words matter now more than ever. So, like, whatever you say carry a lot of weight. So like you need to really um, wait what you're trying to say before saying it. But at the same time, and like, like at the beginning, when people started hearing about these uh, like complications, they were pretty like rare and they're still rare, but we've heard more about them as time go on. And I believe people are having concerns, right? And like medical experts should try to like address those concerns and not just dismiss them outright because uh, there was a pause in the EU to consider the vac the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, um, I believe. Um, that pause lasted for a couple of days, I believe, like twenty eight hours. But that really shook the public, you know, in terms of their confidence. And even in the U.S., they paused the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine as well. Um, um for a week i believe in in eu it might have been astrazeneca or johnson and johnson i'm not too sure but in the us i'm sure it was the johnson and johnson vaccine and they paused it to review their data um the fda paused for a week i believe and a lot of people are saying like this is not going to like help like vaccine hesitancy you know uh and I think those people are right because now if you look at the US like like the rates of people taking the Johnson and Johnson vaccine has been going down like after the like they resumed vaccinate using that vaccine like the rate was where it was before but now it's going down but also the rates of vaccinations overall are going down in the US like uh slightly down um so I don't know man it's you know, it's a personal decision for most people. You know, it's not like someone's going to force you to take the vaccine. But, you know, as a person, you need to consider the impact of the vaccine on your community. Um, and if, in terms of just the public health experts, you know, like they need to really, really consider their words, you know, because if you're telling people, wait, consider your you know, consider the the consequences. Like a lot of people are just gonna say, "No, I'm not getting vaccinated." You know, and that like and or like best case, like not best case scenario, but another scenario is that someone can say, "Okay, I don't want this vaccine. I'll wait for the Pfizer or Moderna one." But as you said, like you're not choosing. You know, when you book your appointment, you're not choosing which vaccine you want or which vaccine is available. You know, you're just going there and you're getting. What is there, you know? And there was a big problem in Ottawa, in the city of Ottawa. I believe I saw an article like a couple of weeks ago where a lot of people were, they were calling it like vaccine shopping. Like, like they were going and booking their appointment. And once they got there, they were told, we're offering the AstraZeneca vaccine. They were like, no, I'll rebook and come back when you have Pfizer. <laughs> you know? I'm dead. <laughs> Yeah, and you know that's that's not helping in terms of you know vaccinating as many people as possible as soon as possible. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's interesting oh, is and, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
No, you can go ahead. No, I just wanted to, I forgot to address the patent thing, you know, like, um, like I'm not too familiar with the, with the Canadian response, but if it's, as you said, they're waiting for a consensus at the WTO, like that's some weak stuff, you know, because <laughs> people are coming out for it or against it before the meeting at the WTO this week, right? Like Germany yeah. came out against waiving the patents. The U.S. and France came out for waiving those patents. And like, as you said, like these, like the farm, like the, the spokespeople at the, at the pharmaceutical companies are not making sense. Mm -hmm. like, I'll, like I was hearing the arguments they're saying, okay, the entire, our entire uh, industry is based on patents. So if you do this, you're disrupting our, uh, industry, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they're saying on top of that, they're like, oh, the vaccine takes a lot of components and a lot of parts and a lot of expertise. It's not just, you don't just need, like the patents are just a recipe. You don't just need the recipe. You also need the ingredients. So if you release the patents, people might, you know, manufacturing it unsafely or, you know, but like dude like if what is it is it like is it is it the first argument or exactly. the second one because exactly. if even if you do release it you know if someone is able to manufacture it let's say in in canada like i heard there was um like a vaccine manufacturer ready to to manufacture those vaccines in canada so if they're able to do it like you know we have a thorough system that will that will look at the safety and how they're how they're manufacturing it you know so like the safety part i don't really buy it like in terms of like oh it's gonna be hard to get like to do it safely and have all the ingredients if like if you release it and people don't have ingredients then they don't they won't manufacture it and mm, if exactly. they do and they, they fail the safety test then who cares what does it add you know but i but the upside is that if some people are actually able to vaccine to manufacture it then the the supply will go up and the world will be vaccinated much sooner so like it, it the the argument doesn't make much sense to me but like i'm not saying that like if they release the patents will have an increase in supply but but I'm just saying that the arguments against waiving it don't make much sense to me. Yeah, no, I agree. It seems like there's other there's other motives there. There's definitely other motives there. But uh, I guess we kind of covered everything. I'm not sure what else we missed. I'm sure we probably missed something. But in terms of this episode, I think we kind of covered everything. And I, and as a last point, I just wanted to actually I just wanted to ask you because it was a it's kind of more it's not really funny, but. I, there was a, I find it kind of funny, but they were, there was a claim because a lot of the one, like during this lockdown, Doug Ford shut down like the tennis courts, uh, basketball courts and whatever. And then there was a claim, but then the beach volleyball was open. So you could do beach volleyball. I don't know if you saw it. Like it was a kind of a, on social media, there was kind of a claim that those policies were, somewhat racist because you know the basketball courts that are in obviously our communities are that's where most of us have our fun but then you have beach volleyball open uh, i just wanted to hear your take your take on that personally for me i did not think 
I, I think it was just, it showed more, it was just ineptitude more than actually it being racist policies because it didn't, like, you weren't allowed to golf either and you weren't allowed to play tennis either and those other sports. I don't think it was racist policies, but it just, I think it just showed more ineptitude more than anything. Yeah, honestly, I think it's the former rather than the latter, as you said. Um, you know, I just thought the, the whole policy wasn't thought through carefully and in general like like i i don't think it was like a racist policy but in general uh like i think that's like these um not just government but also like the like for example the cdc in the u.s um has been um has been really against like uh outdoors activities and their like their policies are really really strict when it comes to those like outdoors activities and what they're recommending um and it, you know it as times it seems unnecessary you know like we know that covid is like it's not passing through like there was just a study that came out that showed that you know like it's the risks of getting covid because of touching a surface or something like that is not high. And also the risk of getting it uh, outdoors, especially like in the U.S. where people are like getting vaccinated, but getting it outdoors in, in when people are like distant or standing at like a distance is not, is also not considerable. So like, you know, like I feel like uh, a lot of these government agencies are being too strict on their measures, like, uh, on, like on their recommendations. And, but a point is that I know this is not addressing exactly the, like directly the Ontario situation, but I think it's like a point of reference, but also like people are like people are some thoughtful people are saying like to get back to normal is not to get normal means not listening to the public experts anymore like covid will be benign to the point where people won't listen to to everything they say for example <laughs> public health health experts say that like uh like it, it, the cdc recommends that women have only have like one glass of 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 wine or like one beer it like don't go over a beer or over one glass of wine in a day and for men it's too what glasses of wine but nobody but nobody follows those rules right yeah. because we know like yeah if you drink more you have some risks but you know those are risks that you can are worth taking or they're not significant enough where you're going to say no i won't take more than one glass of wine or two glasses of wine and they have a similar thing about steak they say like your steak should be <laughs> well done and not like medium rare or whatever what <laughs> like the their heck? recommendation on how to cook meat so it's like their recommendations are always strict you know yeah. so, but getting back to normal is getting to a place where the situation is well enough that we don't have to listen to all like let's say they, they'll tell you no gathering over 500 people you know but 400 is fine you know mm -hmm. like people can start having those liberties so yeah so i don't know how that answers that question about ontario but i feel like my point is i feel like these uh governmental agencies have been too too strict when it comes to outdoors 
outdoors activities. And my last point is, um, um, there was a group of medical doctors. I'm not sure, uh, which medical doctors who recommended that people like that, that the, on the Ontario government open up like outdoors, uh, activities. Like a few are open, but they recommended that they open more of them, like more like sports and stuff. Uh, yeah, so like the it's when people say follow the science, I don't think the science is on the side of closing everything outdoors. Mm-hmm. So you know they should open up a little bit more. Yeah, no, I agree. Because even during the 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 first lockdown, like what got like me through it is I played, I I went running a lot, but I also played a lot of tennis with my sister. So it was it was, it was one of the activities that you could do, uh, into and for a very good reason. You're pretty far apart when you're playing tennis so uh especially if you're from the same household it doesn't even matter so yeah i think on that i agree exactly. with, I, I agree with you uh yes yes yeah, time to close out this episode first episode back obviously happy to be back it kind of feels like when you um when you're in the first when you're in preseason and then you're getting ready for that first game of the season you know uh it's like you have to dust us dust off the the rust, same thing in the NBA, man. First few games back, sometimes you see, you're like, yo, what kind of basketball is this? Very, very rusty. But no, I had a, it, I think it, I think it's been good. And, uh, yeah, I think we could, we should end with some, uh, what do you, what do we call recommendations for, uh, I, for me, I just have, I just have one. I just finished season two of For All, For All Mankind. And that's on Apple TV. It's basically, an alternate history show that talks about what would have happened if uh the Soviet Union was the first the first one to reach the moon to step foot on the moon on the moon so it's basically so it's an alternate history of different timelines happening and basically from the Soviet Union step uh stepping on the moon first a lot of chain events happen and then the space race becomes much more intense and much more militant, so it's a really good show on Apple TV. Apple TV costs like four ninety nine um, a month, so it's very inexpensive. And I know I'm, I know some individuals have other means of watching uh, some of these shows, <laughs> so utilize those means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have uh, one show and one book. So I'll start with the show. Um, I think you'll like this. I don't know if you've watched it, but so. As a preface, like, uh, to preface the, the conversation, I'm not like a monarch, monarchist. I don't, like, I don't like monarchies in general, although. You don't have, to, you don't have to do the, discla- you don't have to do the disclaimer. <laughs> no, no, I, I do because, like, I think it's, I, I think it's kind of like interesting, but although I appreciate the constitutional, um, like the the way we have our constitution in Canada, with like the separation between the head of state and head of government, but I I've been watching um Crown. Oh, Crown, amazing! Amazing. Um, yeah, man, I I didn't think I would like it because it's about like the you know it's about like the the you the United Kingdom's monarchy in the 20th century, I think. Um, so mostly about Queen Elizabeth and, you know, her family. There was a, a bit about her dad, but 
but uh man i've been appreciating the show it's like you know you like a lot of like history stuff and uh like you, i feel like i'm living a little bit um i'm learning a lot about like the the british society in the 20th century and uh yeah so i recommend that the crown it's on netflix so um i think if you have a streaming service it's probably netflix so you probably don't have to use those other means um <laughs> uh but the book that uh, i would like to recommend i just i finished it in, uh, not too long ago it's called cast the origin of our discontents uh, by isabel wilker wilkerson um it's it's basically about uh race and racism in america but it has like a uh, it has like a super interesting framing it like it compares the history of racism in america with the history of caste in india you know like how like the discrimination based on race in in the us and the discrimination based on caste in india and looks how at how those um uh like how those uh can be how are those two are comparable and you know like it's really really it's such a good book i would really recommend it to anybody who's interested but yeah so cast the origin of our discontents and the crown mm -hmm. yeah those are really good recommendations especially the crown yeah uh what season are you at i'm just curious uh beginning of season three i think i just finished the first episode oh okay yeah nice now the crown is definitely definitely a good show i can't wait for next season to come especially you'll you'll see where the most recent season ends and then it will really get you excited for the up and coming season because there's a lot this is this is the the, the season where uh, uh yeah I'm, I'm not gonna spoil anything but you're gonna have a good time uh but yeah that was uh beyond culture goodbye and good night good night Thank you.